It's our very favorite show. It's the Mailbag Show. I'm Matt Robeson, along with my Blue Amp channel on YouTube, partner, co-host, conspirator, co-conspirator. We're going to get to that in a second. I'm not the only conspirator. Conspire together. Cliff, you are, oh, and this is also on Beyond Politics, was available wherever you get your podcast. And of course, on the Blue Amp channel on YouTube, Cliff, you are like tearing it up on the media channels, my friend. You're just on Stephanie Miller. You're just on Jesse Dollimore. I think you're on Meet the Press this weekend. One of those kids is not like the other. Yeah, a lot of good stuff came up. Those are all great shows. Also, Ring of Fire, kind folks over there had me on. And those are all great shows. People should check them all out. And I really enjoyed doing them. By the way, if people are interested in some of those media appearances, all of the links are going to be posted on the community tab, Blue Amp channel. And also we may sneak some of that stuff onto our Patreon page. We're looking for more supporters. We just launched this. We're really excited about it. We'll put the link up in the show notes. So check out. And if you feel like supporting us on Patreon so that we can do more of this stuff, we really would appreciate it. So I think what we're going to do here is another mailbag show. I think what we're going to do is I'll read off the question. I'll give a little background and then Cliff, you just fire away. All right, here we go. At Samurai Kitten writes, I'd like to know more about DeSantis and Guantanamo Bay. Why don't more people know how he enjoyed torturing the prisoners? So thank you for the question and comment, Samurai Kitten. The situation that we're referring to here is there are two that have come up. One is that Ron DeSantis as a junior officer in 2006, yes, he was a lawyer at Guantanamo Bay, and he was asked to lead an investigation into three deaths that occurred under very suspicious circumstances, where the official line was, these men committed suicide, and it is very questionable, and a lot hinges on what he found, and he's been very mum about it. The other situation that's come up, and that elicited a What's the adjective I'm looking for? A fiery response from Ron DeSantis, who is not used to such things because usually he runs on motor oil. He's also used to really just screaming at kids wearing masks or other sorts of folks who can't speak back to him. Yes, that's usually where he reserves or yell at Usually he's media members because that's how Republicans like to muscle up and look tough. Also, what he'll do is he'll stand behind Casey DeSantis and pop his head out and yell something at somebody and then go back into hiding. So he does a little bit of that too. Yes, profiles encourage. He only does that Um, when his white booties are available, so he feels really comfortable and confident in himself. Yeah, it's like that clip of him going to the Red Arrow Diner in New Hampshire. It's, hey, hello, human people. Where do I go? Over here? Hello. I am now going to talk to you, human person. This is a human-like handshake. In all seriousness, not to give people... John Kerry and Mitt Romney look like the two most charismatic presidential candidates of all time. Yes, he's he's a specimen. Makes look good in the tank. Not to give people tonal whiplash here, but Mansour Adaifi, Guantanamo detainee, alleged in an op-ed in Al Jazeera recently that Ron DeSantis was present when he was force-fed during an effort to break a hunger strike. And of course, many international groups have said that this amounts to torture. There are media reports on this, but the question here was, why don't more people know about this? Do you think this is coming up? in the course of this campaign. Are you trying to get me to go on another anti-media rant? Is that what you're searching for here, Matt? I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Look, why didn't more people not know about it? I just had this conversation again on Stephanie Miller's show where we were talking about some of the things they won't cover, even the Chinese spy story that I alluded to with their whistleblower falling apart, how they'll cover it quickly and move on to the next thing. Our political media is just absolutely fundamentally broken. 
clip came up and we may be doing a video on this that Michael Beschloss shared about 90 years ago, where the cover, I think, of the New York Times said that the Allies weren't really about worried about Hitler. They figured he was just talking. It seems our media can say is stay as stupid and corrupt. And I'm sorry, yes, among mainstream media, I can name dozens of terrific reporters. So it's, this is not to say every single one, but a lot of the decision makers at the big outlets and a lot of individual little careerists, but they're sitting there with a little pencil behind their ear and all, they're all psyched to move up the food chain. They couldn't care less. And the, the false balance, our friend wrote a thread recently and he was reminding people that he was taking credit and blaming himself taking accountability, I should say. Yeah. He, worked, was, he edited the front page of the Chicago Tribune that he believed, and this is 15 years ago, I think, or more, that the fair thing was to give an equal number of quotes to Democrats and Republicans and all that kind of stuff. And he said he's realized since it was lazy reporting, it was misinforming the public because to pretend that both sides are equal is not true. They never are. There's always somebody doing more, but it's even that much more egregious over the last 10, 15 years as the Republican Party has become a very much an anti-democratic force, has become much more corrupt. They spend so much time covering stupid stories and trying to both sides everything. I think that last piece is really what it is. It's true, but there's probably part of the dynamic is they consider Ron DeSantis the other white meat, and so they want to keep him alive because they love a good horse race story. But the other side of the coin, it, this is why it's so laughable. It's so laughable, the gaslighting that's involved when Republicans and right-wingers cry about, oh, there's a media bias. Shut up. It's so palpably untrue because what you've got is a right-wing media ecosystem that is on full propaganda blast 100% of the time. And then you've got a mainstream media ecosystem that reflexively deep in their DNA, and this is what Mark Jacob is talking about, feels like they need to give equal coverage. They need to balance this idea that there is a liberal media bias that's trying to support Joe Biden and the Democrats is so laughable. Mark Jacob, our friend, recent guest on the show, pointed out in another Twitter thread, here's a headline from the New York Times, despite successes at NATO summit, divisions remain. And here's what he writes. He says, there's a reflexive negativity in the New York Times coverage as if the journalists think that skepticism makes them look smart. The headline reads, despite successes at NATO summit, divisions remain. What if it said, despite divisions, NATO summit achieves successes, which is what actually happened because they feel like they have to inject tension, but all negativity. Otherwise they're gonna look like they're in the tank and there is no such instinct. There's no such restraint at Fox News or any of the other right-wing blowhard propaganda outlets. Let's move on to another question. At the Cynthia Rice, I love it. You're like the Ohio State University. The Cynthia Rice writes, when do you think Fannie Willis will bring charges and who will be charged? Let me give a quick rundown on this. I think, thank you for the question. I think what I assume Ms. Rice is referring to here is the fact that as we record this week, a new grand jury was just sworn in Atlanta in the DA Fannie Willis's investigation into the post-election interference in Georgia. You find me 12,000 votes. Yeah, find me. You just, well, it's 11,780, which is actually bad math. I was rounding up. Nope. But do you realize what's stupid about that? Trump's number would have resulted in a tie. So, boy, the layer, he's like an onion. Even when he's cheating, he's an idiot. Yeah, it's, boy, it's a real. And it's worth also adding that others that, that were involved in the pressure campaign down there include Lindsey Graham and Rudy Giuliani, who also are have potential legal liability there and probably some others I'm not thinking of. So worth yes, they are. They are neck deep. They are saggy, wrinkled neck deep 
in culpability here. The short answer is that Fannie Willis has previously suggested that any indictments, if there are any, will likely come in August. The slightly longer answer is that what you probably have heard about previously was an investigative grand jury, which Fannie Willis had pulled together to look at the circumstances of what occurred and to gather evidence. They had subpoena power. They could compel testimony from witnesses who might not otherwise be willing to talk to the DA. They issued a report that was largely not made public. That's where there was that whole kerfuffle with the foreperson of the grand jury who went on a media tour, which was a bit of a mistake. But that doesn't affect what's happened here. There is now a, a, a grand jury that is charged with potentially bringing back indictments, will consider criminal charges for, and that could include that for the other part of the question, who will be charged? Donald Trump, other Republican allies. You should obviously keep an eye on Rudy Giuliani. Whoever was on those phone calls and then Lindsey Graham made a separate call to, to the Secretary of State, Republican Secretary of State, Raffin, right. to pressure him. And there could be others we don't even know about. One point on that, and then I'll, you should jump in, is that in the past, Fannie Willis has made extensive use of Georgia's Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, which is like the Federal RICO Act. That's how you go after mobsters, is you charge them with being part of a conspiracy. If you do any coordination in furtherance of committing a crime, you can be part of this kind of a conspiracy. So what we don't know is, was there any coordination behind the scenes? And that could draw in all kinds of figures in Trump's orbit. If it walks like a duck and talks like a duck, these people behave like mobsters. And Donald Trump learns the knee of mobster Roy Cohn. And his dad, I believe it was the Luciano crime family, was involved with in New York when he originally started his slumlord business. Yeah, they're good at that stuff. Look, you covered a lot of it. I'd heard from, we've been hearing for months now, that Fannie Wills was saying August was the time. So for Cynthia Rice, who asked that question, I appreciate it. And again, they have a tape. This is one of the more sort of like the stolen documents. This is one of the easier cases. I'm not a lawyer, but I do know what tapes are. I do know there's, there's a guy named Richard <laughs> Nixon. Uh, tapes didn't work out so well for him. The fact of the matter is that the tapes are going to be incredibly damaging and the witnesses are going to be incredibly damaging. And we've already heard in other cases that Mark Meadows has flipped. So why would he have not here? I don't know, but I would suspect so. I think I would be shocked if Donald Trump is not indicted in August over this. And I'm not one of these sort of Pollyannish, always optimistic. I think there's still ways he can get out of getting indicted for January 6th, which would upset me because the country needs that. He'll be indicted for enough stuff and hopefully spend enough time in prison. It doesn't matter, but the country needs him to be indicted for January 6th. That one I'm not as 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 optimistic about. I'm not saying I'm pessimistic, but this one, I think this is pretty straightforward. Now, there's a one other factor, and maybe you know more about this, Matt, which, of course, because even Republicans, Donald Trump insults, kiss his butt religiously, that Brian Kemp in the state legislature there was trying to pass some legislation where they could remove local prosecutors because, again, they don't believe in democracy. So could we be looking at a Georgia constitutional crisis where they try to remove Fannie Willis in August before she makes her recommendations? I don't know. Could that, be. That's a very interesting angle. Definitely something to keep an eye on. And look, all of these are moving targets and they are very much targets. Let's be clear. Why are they targets? Because they're all freaking criminals. Here's a fun exercise for our viewers and our listeners at home. Google allies or Trump pain folks or Trump White House personnel 
who have been indicted or sent to prison. It's a challenge for Google. Just if you want to challenge your Google algorithm. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Patty Chris 2238 writes, I'd like to know if you think the people Jack Smith hasn't talked to are just as important as those that he has, could we be seeing conspiracy charges? I haven't seen any reporting about Smith asking questions about seated members of both houses that attempted the coup with Trump. All right, let's just break down this question for one second. Thank you, Patty, for the question. Potential for Jack Smith to bring charges in the January 6th matter. We don't know. It's There's a closed investigation. We do know that there were referrals from the January 6th investigatory committee. They were very pointed. We've had Jamie Raskin from that committee on this show talking about that. Now, he said, look, we don't have the power to charge. We don't have the power to recommend. We have the power to essentially serve up the platter. And they did so with as much force as they were able to. So we're going to have to wait and see on that one. On conspiracy charges, again, I would just refer to my earlier point, Paul Hodes, former congressman and former prosecutor, assistant attorney general, has addressed this on this show. This came up in the context of the very first indictment of Donald Trump in New York, which was essentially for a conspiracy charge. That's still a possibility there, both in the January 6th and in the classified documents and potentially in the Georgia case where Fannie Willis has the option to use Georgia's version of the RICO statute to go after a criminal conspiracy. That is definitely a possibility. Let's get to the first part of your question though, because this is an area that Cliff has addressed recently, which is what do we know about the people he hasn't talked to? And this one, I'm going to infer that what you're talking about is the classified documents case, because one thing that came up this week is the fact that there is a report in The Independent from insiders that Jack Smith is reportedly ready to drop up to 45 additional criminal charges on Donald Trump's face. If Donald Trump breaks 200 indictments, he gets a free set of Ginsu knives. So that's important to remember here. That's that is and apparently Only 1995. If, if he breaks a thousand, he gets Greenland. It's a good deal. That's a really good deal. I hear a yeah, lot I, of people are saying good things about Greenland today and the way Greenland is behaving. I hear he's doing some great things today about Frederick Douglass. We're going to have to have our chat GPT Trump do a version of that. By the way, am I the only person who thought that the idea of buying Greenland was actually Donald Trump's like of his stupid ideas? That was like the least stupid. That's not objectively crazy to me. Why is that crazy? It's a nice place to stop off on the way to Europe. Like the flight gets shorter. It's got resources, right? So look, the thing about additional charges, this came up in a question that we answered. There's a video on this on Blue Amp. When it, when the tapes broke of Donald Trump bragging to randos coming into the office, hey, look at these secret war plans. These are totally secret. I definitely didn't declassify these. I hope no prosecutors ever listened in on this in the future. Billy's wrong. I'm much Because I will be screwed. It was him. Yeah. When that came up, the question was, who were these other staffers who were in the room? And now they've been identified. That was in the New York Times. And the point is, there's a whole possibility of other charges being brought in New Jersey, which would get you out from under the thumb of Eileen Cannon, the Joe judge who is pro-Trump and is in charge of the case. Beyond pro-Trump, she's corruptly pro-Trump to the point of she got smacked down by the appellate court in Florida for so what she tried to pull originally with this special master garbage to slow down the look into looking into the files he had taken, which 
we had plenty of time. Who needed to move right away on files that had nuclear secrets and our defensive capabilities and those of our allies? But in any case, and that, that court was made up of two Trump judges and a George W. Bush judge, that little panel. It wasn't the whole court, it was a panel. And they all smacked him down. Smacked yep. him. Are they just taking weak old congealed piles of cheese and turning them to judges now? The thing is, is that Bedminster, we have these tapes that came out and we know that he had these conversations there. If he was willing to move these things around, like he was picking this stuff up and moving it from place to try to hide it and, and have it everywhere. So I mean, some documents here, some documents there. Do we really think that there were none? And tell me if I'm wrong, it's been reported already, but do we really think there were none? He's got two or three properties in New York, Westchester County. He's got a golf club. I believe Nassau, he might. He's got a golf club in Virginia, one in Illinois and one or two in California. These are all democratic states where he could be indicted. Jack Smith could be holding back to indict him in numerous. But it's not just that. It's not just that, man. It's a known fact that he ate documents, right? He yep. ate them. So we already know that we found whole documents in his bathroom. Now the question is, oh God, where my, you know where I'm going with this. The question is, where was he going? You're heading towards Hanky the Christmas poo, I think. Yes, I, that's dirty. the question. Is there potential legal danger anywhere where he pooped? Do not know the answer to that. I know the answer is that I'm being ridiculous, but. There should hey. be, if you think about it, there should be jurisdiction wherever he took a poop. That's what I'm saying, man. We need to bring in like forensic poop analysts. That is yeah, hilarious. And I'm glad we did that. But it all, I mean, there's some good judges in California, in New York, in Illinois. My point is that we may only need New Jersey. I have to believe that there's possibility that there's other places where there may be evidence. And let's also, let me just tack on the fact that back to Florida. I mean, look, Eileen Cannon, we're not just whistling Dixie here. And I mean that literally, because I bet she whistles Dixie a lot. She has already taken subtle, but nonetheless damaging measures that help Trump. She, Trump has filed to, have to delay the trial and she's going to rule on that. She's already ruled, even though it would be a lot more appropriate to hold this trial in a different courthouse, that would mean seating juror from more balanced areas. She's decided to keep it in her home dinky little courthouse, which happens to draw its juror panel from predominantly Trump voting counties at the rate of 60 to 70%. And therefore they should be able to impanel a fully tried jury. Even since Trump was indicted in Miami, the grand jury has issued new subpoenas and they're still apparently investigating different aspects of the classified documents case. Eileen Cannon can do what she wants, but Jack Smith does have several aces up his sleeve, apparently in other jurisdictions, and even more to come potentially in so Florida. I want to finish by saying, I hate to say this, but I'm still going to stick with a prediction I've been going with for two years now, which is, is, is at some point, if we don't do our job and watch him, I think he's going to end up fleeing the country and living out his life like Idi Amin did in Saudi Arabia. That is my prediction. That he's going to go and live in a palace. Would you? Can I ask you this? Would you take that deal? If he fled and like he could no longer be a factor, he could like tweet and truth and whatever that he does, but he can't run for president anymore. Would you take that deal? I might. I might take it. I might take it. As long as he takes Jared and Ivanka and Bannon and a few of them with him. Frank Morella, 7905, asked, this is right up your alley, hello all question, can Jim Jordan be sued for his sex scandal? It's the sexual abuse scandal with the doctor and hundreds of victims. Frank, thank you for the question. You just did a video on this, Cliff. Do you want to jump right in? My video is mostly about the fact that the Supreme Court ruled that a case by a number of former student athletes who were molested by this doctor 
They're suing the Ohio State University and that lawsuit could go forward. If that lawsuit goes forward, we will inevitably find out more stuff about Jim Jordan. It's almost impossible we won't. What we know so far about Jim Jordan is six different student athletes have either testified or shared with reporters that he absolutely knew what was going on. They talked about it with them. A referee who witnessed, and I'm sorry to have to say this is gross, but it is what it is, was in the shower and witnessed this doctor masturbating in there while others were in there and went and told Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan apparently laughed it off and said, oh, that's just him and dismissed it and knew. So we've got a referee and we've got six students. One of them, former captain of the team, his brother was one of the ones who'd stepped forward originally and has said under oath to the Ohio state legislature has testified that Jim Jordan joked about it and that he called his brother begging, pleading, and crying, which that little simp, I'm so not surprised that little Beavis looking, sounds like he sucked on a helium balloon. I'm not surprised at all about that. So the part I can tell you is I believe a lot more inevitably will come out about the fact that Jim Jordan absolutely knew what was going on and should be held responsible for the fact that thousands of kids, as far as we know, hundreds so far, but over a thousand kids between the late, I think it was between the late seventies and late nineties. And Jordan was there for a seven year period during that time. Here's the only thing I'll add, because you really are the expert on this case. The only thing I'll add is that on the record, Joseph Souter, a lawyer representing one of the former wrestlers in the program, said that anyone who would have been in the chain of command or an authority figure in the university's athletic program is certainly someone will be interested in deposing. What that means with the Supreme Court's ruling is that Jim Jordan is going to be exposed to a deposition. That means he is going to be exposed to potential perjury. This is where the distinction that we keep seeing come up between the court of public opinion, where you can bullshit your way out of things, it's called the Trump playbook, and the court of law are very different. Jim Jordan is likely going to be deposed, he is going to be under oath, and he is going to, if he lies, then he is going to be in trouble. And his options at that point become truth-telling and lying and legal exposure. And we get from everything we know from the testimony, the six wrestlers, Adam DiSabato and his brother, Mike, who exposed the abuse and gave Adam that DiCibato, testimony. Yeah, he was the one I was talking about earlier who said that Jordan called his brother crying and pleading and begging and wouldn't let him off the phone for an hour or something. So he's either going to have to come clean about all this or he's going to have to lie or it's going to turn out that this mountain of evidence about what he knew and when he knew it has all been fabricated, which seems extraordinarily unlikely. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. S-T-R-Y-F-E-S point 304. Let's call that Strife's point. Strife's point, 304. If you had a top five replacement for VP Harris, who would they be? You're looking for a top five list, just like High Fidelity. And apart from the ones currently running, Strife's point 304 writes, who would be your top five for the Democratic presidential candidate? And do you think that the Dems would resume expanding the Supreme Court in addition to working on term limits? Stay great as always and thanks in advance. Thank you, Strife's point 304. That's a couple of great questions. There's um, a couple of great questions. Should we do the VP one first? Because boy, that's incendiary. I will actually start off by saying, I don't think anybody should replace Kamala Harris. I think she's done a terrific job. Right. Again, the VP separating yourself effectively from the president, but also being 
loyal to the president and part of their administration is always an incredibly difficult dance. It leads to a vice president not getting credit for certain things and almost looking deferential and not presidential in a way because you're deferring to somebody. I think she's got she's brilliant. I think she's proven she got elected attorney general in in, Cal, in California and senator. I don't think she's been given her due. I think a lot of people down on her right now that if she gives a, is given a chance to shine, she will. So I'm going to say that. But if I were to, to pick replacements for her, first of all, look, if it's Joe Biden who's running for president, we absolutely need some diversity in that position. I would think I'd be open-minded to someone like Sharice Davids who is a congresswoman from, from Kansas, mixed martial arts expert, which is cool. She's also part Native American and she's a lesbian. That would bring some diversity. You refer, of course, to the MMA aspect. Yes, that's the only thing I can think of that's diverse about her at all. Yes. I personally- think I would pay money to see her put Mike Pence in an omoplata. I don't know what that is, but I'm sure it's bad, but I like what you're saying and do that. I personally very much am just huge, a huge fan of Gretchen Whitmer's, who's proven that every attack that where they launched against her, including threatening her life, she parried back and literally won everything in Michigan and turned it into from a like a purple to a blue state. But again, we need diversity. I think certainly someone who would galvanize people, Stacey Abrams, would be a very interesting choice, popular in an important state too, besides obviously being an African-American woman, that's somebody else I would seriously consider. I don't want somebody from the same region, and I'm sorry, Delaware, maybe technically mid-Atlantic, but it's really the Northeast. I want, that's why I picked a Midwesterner mm -hmm. and a Southerner. I want people from other regions of the country. First of all, I think you're right. Beside the points you made about qualifications and ability, I just think it would be politically impossible for Joe Biden to say, hey, Amala, thanks. We're done. It's not like a political starter. It's a position that's really hard to succeed in. And she has, by her own choice, taken on some of the most difficult issues. And it's just, it's been a no-win situation for her. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to merge the two threads of the question of if we had to be replacing her. First of all, I think the only way you could get away with replacing her as the vice president is an opening occurs on the Supreme Court and you put her on the Supreme Court. She's eminently qualified for that. She was the Attorney General of California. That would not be a demotion. She is- Harris um, Thomas is 77 and Alito is 73. Oh I'm my gosh. How That would be beautiful. I would, I would be never root for anything bad to happen to either of those wonderful men. I know. I don't root for anything bad to happen to any human being, but there you go. All right. So look, if we were in this position though, I do think that you would want to look at an African-American woman. I think it would be a hard transition. One place I might look is outside of politics because shamefully we don't have that many African-American women at the governor level, at the U.S. center level. There are some strong choices at the U.S. house level, but you could look outside of politics. You could look, for example, at two African-American female CEOs, Rosalind Brewer of Walgreens, Thesunda Brown Duckett of TIAA, people who have leadership and corporate credentials who would be credible as leaders, not in the political realm and people like outsiders these days. Considering yeah. Walgreens decided to stop hand, to stop giving out, was it plan B to stay after that ridiculous decision by that judge in Texas? I know she may not have supported it, but the company decided and she's CEO. So my guess is- That's a tough one. That's a tough right? one. I think if Donald Trump can run for president on the bullshit illusion that he is a strong business leader, 
you could choose an African-American woman who's an actual strong business leader. If you, if you, if you were to merge with the question though, of let's say Joe Biden weren't running, who would I look at? Agree with Gretchen Whitmer. I'm not opposed to a Gina Raimondo, a former Rhode Island governor, now Commerce Department secretary, pretty strong business and leadership oh, credentials. At the top of the ticket. I've always been a big fan of your Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown. I think someone who can speak to our working class roots in the yep. Democratic Party, making it a broader issue of people who work for a living in this yeah, country. And one or two other folks. And it wouldn't happen. And I don't know that it's the right thing because people should get elected experience. The one person that would make that all okay would be Michelle Obama. Mm. And again, I'm not advocating for that because I'm not, I think Michelle Obama is brilliant, terrific, wonderful. And yes, it is experience to be first lady. You do learn a lot by being there, by being in a lot of those meetings and all that. But I still would rather have somebody who has been elected in any case, she's at a million times, she has no interest, so it doesn't matter. It would have to be Kamala to the Supreme Court and then someone really strong like that coming in. Let's go to our last question. Upstate Pats fan writes, and I believe this is upstate New York, I believe, and this is a Twitter question, and you can find both of us on Twitter at Cliff Schechter, at Matt L. Robeson. I'm a 55-year-old male that pretty much plays it down the middle in politics. Almost never meet any self-admitted Trump supporters. The hardcore MAGA fans seem to be a fringe minority, but Trump always does well in the polls. Why won't folks openly admit their support for Trump? I have an answer. I have a, I have a proposed answer for you here. Thank you very much for the question, Upstate Pats fan. I, I think the most likely thing going on here is geographic sorting. For all the focus we've given in politics on gerrymandering, deservedly, one thing that does seem to be happening is that people are voting with their feet and they are tending to sort themselves into political tribes by geography. So of the nation's total of 3,143 counties, we have that many counties for some reason. The number of what are defined as super landslide counties. That means a county where a presidential candidate won at least 80% of the vote has jumped from 6% in 2004 to 22% in 2020. So what we're seeing is more and more places in America where it's not just like strongly for blue or red, but like an absolute crush where you might actually feel socially really awkward about admitting that you're a Trump person in a sea of Democrats. Another way of putting this, by the way, I love this statistic, is that Joe Biden in 2020 won 85% of the counties that had a Whole Foods and only 32% of the counties with a Cracker Barrel. Let me just give you one other set of numbers and then Cliff, you should jump in. The number of districts, okay, in which there is a Democrat representing the district in the House of Representatives, and that district voted for the Republican for president, or vice versa. We're talking about split congressional districts. It was 86 districts in the year 2000. 22 years later, in 2022, it was down to 23. There are five districts represented by Democrats that voted for Trump in the last election, and 18 represented by Republicans. So my sense is that the most likely thing is that more and more people are living in these kinds of places. The other thing that could be going on is there's such a thing as a shy 
Trump voter. There's a little bit of evidence about that, that maybe there are people out there who don't like to admit publicly that they're in favor of Donald Trump because he is an intergalactic asshole. But the evidence is mixed on that. And I'm speaking scientifically, of course. Yes, always scientifically. I think there's probably a little bit of that playing into it. I think there's two other things. John Dean of Watergate fame, when asked, would Richard Nixon have survived if Fox News existed back then, said, yes, he would have. If there had been a conservative infrastructure, which, by the way, is why Roger Isles was obsessed initially with what he, first he created something called something really stupid, like right-wing news. I don't even remember what it was. And he would send out, yes, folks, these existed back then, videotapes to different news stations to try to get their spin included in local news. Eventually, it became Fox. There's simply no doubt, which is why I talk so much about why we need an upgraded understanding of the First Amendment in an age where disinformation travels so rapidly and can destroy us. The wholesale lies. Look, Fox was just sued again by this guy, Ray Epps, who was there on, who actually was a Trump voter, and there on January 6th, and they tried to make it out like he was an FBI plant and kept saying it about him to the point of where he feels defamed. I would think being an FBI plant would be better than what he actually was. But I'm glad he's suing Fox News for $500 million. They still got the Smartmatic suit. This was always the way to go after these guys, to sue them into oblivion. And folks, when you have weapons-grade propaganda, and I'm not just saying that as a phrase, this is PSYOP stuff. This is stuff we developed during World War II. These channels, like manipulating visually emotional images, symbols, around and doing the same with what they say and messaging constantly and repeating from Fox to Breitbart to talk radio. We have let the right get away with this. We did a video the other day that on the MAGA granny, which is what they call her. And she spoke about how she stepped away from this crazy MAGA movement, which she considers a cult, took full responsibility for the fact that she was in Capitol Hill on January 6th, served 60 days in prison. She's older, she's a cancer survivor. But man, was she terrific in condemning Trump and condemning them and saying they lied to her, they fooled her. And I don't think I'm trying to take away responsibility from people for how they acted, I'm not. But I'm just making a point, there are people that literally do not know the truth. That's one big thing. The second big thing of friends who work in Gen Z politics, that they don't answer these polls. And these polls end up not being accurate. And we've seen that again and again. We didn't have polls showing a seven-point gap, maybe, in that Wisconsin important Supreme Court race, and the Democrat won by 11. We're being undercounted in numerous of these races. It is important to remember that we're being undercounted in these things because we have folks that do not, that not only don't answer, I mean, they're not answering, they don't even have home phones and whatever. They're not answering cell phone calls from these guys, and they don't want to participate in it. I would argue that the shy Trump voter plus the Fox News propagandized voter, plus the Gen Zer not showing up, means that Trump is artificially inflated by a number of points and is not really as well-liked as it shows up in those polls. On that note, I think we should get out of here. This has been a great mailbag. Keep the comments coming. You can find us, Blue Amp channel on YouTube, of course, as part of the Beyond Politics podcast. And don't forget to check us out on Patreon. Again, it's in the show notes. All right. For Cliff, I'm Matt Robeson. We will see you soon. Thanks, guys.